It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Welcome to everyone. I thank you for your continued participation in the program. God bless you all. In previous episodes, I have discussed the evidence against the Darwinian theory given from several different sources. First, the evidence from biochemistry regarding Michael Behe's irreducible complexity of the cell. The human body has features, such as the eye, that are irreducibly complex and cannot have been evolved. The eye cannot gradually accumulate all the specific parts between each attainment because at each developing stage the eye will not give human sight. The eye has to be constructed in one gigantic construction. This suggests it had to have been designed. Who or what designed it? Second, the evidence from cellular biology regarding the information in the DNA molecule. Darwinianism offers no evidence for the source of that information. How could anything as complex as a cell arise by chance? A famous evolutionary argument dates back to 1860, the year after the publication of Origin of Species by Charles Darwin. At Oxford University, the self-proclaimed Darwin's bulldog, Thomas Huxley, engaged in a debate with the theologian Samuel Wilberforce, third son of William Wilberforce, the one most responsible for the abolition of slavery from Great Britain's history. The debate between Huxley and Wilberforce was about creation as opposed to evolution. Huxley, in making his case for chance origins, said that six monkeys poking randomly at typewriters and given millions of years could write all the books in the British Museum. But I have given the facts that Gerald Schroeder refuted that argument. That refutation had great impact on Anthony Flew that motivated him to renounce his lifelong commitment to atheism. Third, the evidence from philosophy shows the weakness of the foundation of naturalism. In fact, naturalism leads to nihilism, which literally means that nothing has any value. But this fact applied to naturalism itself shows it too is without value. Thus, nihilism is self-defeating. Since Darwinism is founded on naturalism, it too leads to nihilism and should be rejected. Fourth, the evidence from paleontology, which shows that the record of fossils and the Cambrian explosion are against Darwin's idea of gradualism and the tree of life. 
The history of most fossil species includes two features particularly inconsistent with gradualism. A. Stasis. Most species exhibit no change during their tenure on Earth. They appear in the fossil record looking much the same as when they disappear. B. Sudden appearances. Species do not arise gradually by steady transformation of their ancestors. Rather, organisms emerge abruptly, fully formed, as indicated by the Cambrian explosion and stasis follows afterwards. This departs from Darwinian orthodoxy, which claims that all changes are slow and incremental. Fifth, evidence from taxonomy shows that the lack of an abundance of transitional intermediary species is against Darwin's theory. If evolutionary theory is true, the geologic record should reveal large numbers of transitional intermediary forms that Darwin hoped for. We shouldn't find just a handful of questionable fossils, but billions of intermediates. Jonathan Wells says, the fossil record, however, shows that almost all of the animal phyla appear at about the same time in the Cambrian explosion, with the number declining thereafter due to extensions. The fossil record shows entirely complete animals the very first time they are seen and are not in any way, shape, or imagination ever shown to be in the developmental stages. This state of affairs is just what we would expect if animals were created instead of having been evolved. Thus, Darwin's tree of life has been strongly falsified by the lack of transitory intermediate fossils. Colin Patterson, senior paleontologist at the British Museum of Natural History, wrote, Stephen J. Gould and the American Museum people are hard to contradict when they say there are no transitional fossils. I will lay it on the line. There is not one fossil for which one could make a watertight argument. Many other paleontologists have made equally strong statements. Of course, this has not deterred evolutionists from making an, un an unsupported claim of the actual existence of such transitory forms. A sixth objection to Darwinism is found from the realm of thermodynamics in the violation of its second law. This law insists that the universe is devolving downward, not evolving upward. The evolutionist therefore, must somehow justify the idea that on planet Earth, the reverse has been going on. Things haven't been running down biologically, and they must explain instead why things are getting more and more complex. Moreover, evolutionary theory is unable to explain how, contrary to all experience, species change into other species for the better the more complex. The standard argument is that given enough time, anything can happen. But time is not a causal factor. No matter how long a birdhouse resides hanging on your back porch, it doesn't produce a bird. And if, 
with enough time, anything can happen. This would surely include the possible collapse of evolutionary theory as such. Seventh, evidence from genetics goes against Darwin's theory. In the book, The Case Against Darwin, the author James Perloff writes, quotes, Darwin's theory says fish evolved through many intermediate steps into human beings. The question thus arises, how did fish acquire the genes to become humans? A creature cannot be anything physically its genes won't allow. A zebra cannot give birth to a baby kangaroo. It only has zebra genes. A woman can't even be born blonde without genes for blonde hair. Otherwise, she has to use the product Miss Clairol. Genetics was not developed as a science in Darwin's day, and he assumed animals essentially had unlimited capacity to adapt to environments, end quotes. Allow me to give a brief review of what else per Perloff said. Darwin believed you, you could take, say, monkeys, and if you put them in the right environment, they could, given enough time, become giraffes. This is simply not true. Even after millions of years, donkeys would still be donkeys because they only have donkey genes. From what I have read, natural selection can only combine the DNA information from the parent species. No new information is generated. The Darwinist appeals to mutations, the supposed building blocks of evolution, as that process that produces new species. But mutations are never observed to create higher genetic information. To solve this dilemma, evolutionists asserted that the fish's genes must have mutated into human genes over long periods of time. According to the theory of evolution, an organism develops some new positive characteristic through a mutation and allows the fish to be better adapted to the environment. The creature then passes that mutated trait on to the next generation and eventually it spreads through the whole species. Organisms without that trait being weaker die out. Through this process, fish gradually evolved into humans. However, this evolutionary hypothesis no longer holds up under scrutiny. Dr. Lee Spetner, a professor at Johns Hopkins University and the Wiseman Institute, spent years studying mutations. He wrote a book, Not by Chance, Shattering the Modern Theory of Evolution. He writes, I've never found a mutation that added information all point to mutations that turn out to reduce the genetic information and not increase it. James Perloff adds, mutations delete information from the genetic code. What do they actually do? He replies, death, sterility, hemophilia, sickle cell anemia, cystic fibrosis, down syndrome, and over 4,000 diseases. 
The genetic code is designed to run an organism perfectly. Mutations delete information from the code, causing birth defects. To advance their view, evolutionists have long pointed to mutations with beneficial benefits. The most common example given, mutations sometimes make bacteria resistant to antibiotics. And so the argument goes, if mutations can make bacteria stronger, they must be able to do the same for other creatures. Spatner points out that this is based on a misunderstanding. For the mutations that cause antibiotic resistance still involves information loss. Perloff asks, what if a mutation causes a child to be born deaf? Any benefit? Yes, the child will never hear any curse words. But don't we all want children to hear? In the same way, evolutionists, by viewing a particular mutation in a limited context, may describe the mutation as beneficial and incorrectly say it represents evolutionary progress. A good example is the disease sickle cell anemia, which some evolutionists have portrayed as beneficial because its deformed red blood cells are immune to malaria. But this is akin to saying it would be good to cut off your toes to prevent athlete's foot. Like the armless man, the wiperless car, and the deaf child, these so-called beneficial mutations end up being informational losses. Rarely, mutations cause babies to be born with congenital heart disorders making blood shunt to the wrong place. There is no known case of mutations improving circulation. To accept evolution, we must believe that human blood circulation was constructed by chance mutations when actual observation demonstrates they damage it. Ernst Chain, who shared a Nobel Prize for his work on developing penicillin, stated... To postulate that survival of the fittest is entirely a consequence of chance mutations seems to me an hypothesis based on no evidence and irreconcilable with the facts. Perloff continues, This is not to say it is impossible that a random mutation could create higher genetic information. Only that it is not observed in science. This says to me that Darwin's theory should die on the vine on these observations alone. I end this episode with the reminder, exercise daily, walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. 
And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.